Joe Alessio stood on the top step of St. John's Episcopal, poised for escape. All around him, New England was ablaze with color, the great rush of splendor before the winter kill. It would be easy to pretend he was a tourist, come to northern New Hampshire for a little leaf-peeping R&R. But the heavy wooden doors of the old church weren't thick enough to keep the minister's words from spilling out and bringing reality with them. So I tell you that Anna Kennedy isn't really gone. The holy man was wrong. Joe didn't know many things, but that was one thing he knew for sure. No more visits, no more phone calls, no more chatty letters filled with gossip and wisdom and no-nonsense encouragement. Oh yeah, Anna was definitely gone. The minister, however, thought otherwise, and his clipped Yankee tones caught on a bite of emotion that Joe felt clear through to his soul. We see Anna at Lakeland House, arms open wide, her smile bright enough to light the world. He told himself that he hadn't driven five hundred miles to stand out there on the church steps. He was there. The service was underway. He had to go inside. No matter how much it hurt to realize Anna was dead, he owed it to her memory to honor what she had meant to him. But each time he reached for the handle, his gut twisted, and he found himself calculating the distance between himself and the car he'd left back in the motel parking lot a few blocks away. A gutless coward, that's what he was. One of those spineless rejects he made short work of in his books. The kind of man he despised but understood far too well. You're a finer man than you know, Anna had told him early in their friendship. Her voice seemed to surround him. Anna Kennedy had believed in him when nobody else had, least of all himself. She had never shirked a responsibility or turned away from a friend in her life. He sucked in a gulp of piney air, squared his shoulders, and was about to grab for the brass handle again when the massive wooden door squeaked open and a tall, slender blonde stepped into the sunlight, frowned in his general direction, and began to drop. He was in motion before he had time to form a thought. It was a long way down the stone steps, and he managed to grab her before she began the long fall toward the ground. Her body was loose-limbed and delicate in his arms, a surprisingly light bundle for such a tall woman, and he easily scooped her up and carried her down the dozen steps where he placed her on the grass. Oh, God, she said, looking up at him with the unfocused stare of the almost conscious. Have I made a total fool of myself? You're asking the wrong person, he said with a smile. It isn't every day a beautiful woman falls at my feet. She pushed against his arm and sat up. Her hair was long and intricately braided, and she flung the plate back over her shoulder as she considered him. I fell at your feet? Her eyes were a very dark brown streaked with flecks of gold, a strange and exotic combination with her pale blonde hair. Please tell me you're joking. I'm not joking. He smoothed down the collar of her black coat with the back of his hand smothering a sudden desire to touch the apricot skin of her cheek. 
Do you make a habit of it, or was I just lucky? He sensed she was sizing him up. It's a first, she said after a moment. But I'm the lucky one. She glanced toward the steps and shuddered. I owe you. So are you okay now? He'd never seen hair as fine and blonde as hers before. It seemed to sparkle with captured moonlight and stars. Need some water? She shook her head. It was so blasted hot in there that I... She stopped mid-sentence. Who am I kidding? I couldn't handle it. For the first time, those limitless eyes of hers looked away. I felt as if the walls were closing in on me. Joe pulled a cigarette from the pocket of his jacket. He offered her one, but she shook her head. At least you went inside, he said after a long, comforting drag.